0: Juliet, Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello, and welcome to episode 250 of Dogcast Radio. What a milestone! 250 shows. Later on, Jenny and I will be reminiscing about our favourite memories of 17 years of producing Dogcast Radio. But first, we have two amazing ladies, Zazie Todd and Shelley Volsh. I can't believe how lucky I was to talk to them both, and what a treat you've got coming up. Zazie Todd will be talking about her book, WAG, The Science of Making Your Dog Happy.
1: WAG is about understanding what your dog needs all the way through from getting a puppy or adopting an adult rescue, right through to having dogs and children, taking your dog for a walk, training them, taking them to the vet and how to help them as seniors and make those difficult decisions at the end of life. Uh, And it's full of practical tips. So it is a
0: science book. It explains the science behind it. So you understand why I'm saying these are good things to do. First, in an interview inspired by comments made by the Pope, and there's a phrase I've never said before in 250 podcasts, Shelley Volch will be talking to me about pet parenthood. I'm talking today to Dr Shelley Volsh. Hi, Shelley. Hello. You are Clinical Assistant Professor and Advising Coordinator at Boise State University, Department of Anthropology, yes? Yes, that's correct. Yes, Great, okay. What well, I want to talk to you, because I was so intrigued by what the Pope said it's not often that I I take that much notice of what the Pope says, (laughs) but he said that sometimes pets take the place of children in society. Today, we see a form of selfishness. We see that some people do not want to have a child. Sometimes they have one and that's it, but they have dogs and cats that take the place of children. Now that I hadn't spotted until I'd looked again at what he said. I had one and then I had (laughs) dogs and cats and, and all kinds. So, you yeah, he was talking about me. I'm taking it personally now. I think it's really, really interesting. Just, just for balance. He also said, one day we will see our animals again in the eternity of Christ. Paradise is open to all of God's creatures. So he's not like anti-pet <laughs> in general. It's just that um, we've got to have children as well, apparently. So I, I don't know. But It's really, really inter- interesting. And it caused a lot of outrage, I guess, on, on social media. So... What did you make of those comments that it's, it's selfishness to choose a pet instead
2: of a child? What do you think? Um, well, first of all, it was really interesting because so many people thought of me when they saw that quote. I probably got the CNN article into my email box about 12 times. <laughs> I was tagged on Twitter more times than I can count. And it's because my research is is kind of in that overlapping space of people who choose not to have children and people who are parenting or applying their parenting strategies to their pets. Um, And for me, I think that selfishness is one of those things that is relative to your position on the question. Right. So. When I think about religious organizations, clearly their focus is going to be people need to be having children, especially people within their denomination or their um, particular school of thought, yeah. um, because of the fact that, you know, you, you're going to lose your future of your church or your organization or your political party if your individuals aren't having children. Yes. Um, so there's there's definitely, you know, more to it, I think, than just are you or are you not selfish for having kids? But putting aside a lot of the kind of cultural and political aspects, um, people are concerned. We are seeing the fertility rates across the world drop. The global fertility rate is down to 2.4. And fertility rate basically is just the average number of children a woman would have in her lifetime. Right. Assuming all women have their their proper share, if you will. (laughs) Some of us are pulling our weight, aren't we? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, and there's plenty of us. I, I helped raise my my stepson, but that's that's it. I didn't have any of my own children. My mm. my dogs were my kids. Yeah. Um, R R, as one of them is snoring under my feet. Oh bless. <laughs> so, um, when I talk to people who've chosen not to have children, you know the the issue of selfishness comes up frequently. Many of them do have some sort of strong religious background that didn't align with their personal views, opinions, beliefs, ideologies. And so they may have pushed back against that. Um, and part of that ends up being that maybe it's, you know, when they, when they start to look at things going on in the world, um, some of the political strife going on in the world, some of the group relationships in different parts of the world that are not necessarily providing a, a safe and necessarily comfortable culture to raise children in. The cost of raising children yep. Um. here in the States, it's almost $250,000 to raise a child to 18. Wow. And that's not even considering if you put them through college, if you've given them a lot of, um, you know, the extras that we tend to expect, you know, you should have an iPhone by junior high and all this <laughs> kind of stuff now, right? Yes. It, that's just, you know, Food, clothing, school supplies, you know, putting having that extra bedroom in your home, whatever. Um, So there's there's all these other aspects and, you know, we're not necessarily making it feasible for people to have children in that environment. Um, There's also the environmental aspect. So there's plenty of people who would say that having children is selfish because of the environmental implications um, there was a paper in two thousand and nine by Merton Schlacks that was looking at the fact that the average for each child a woman has they can you know five to ten times their carbon footprint um in the United States. It was five point seven times your carbon footprint per child Wow, um, you know, and part of that is consumption it 's not necessarily that we have to be having. Um, fewer children, but we don't necessarily need to be in the high consumption rate that we have or the disposable, you know, culture rate. Um, and so in making those decisions about parenthood um, and being reflective of the environment around us, um, people do turn to, to pets. It is part of our kind of evolved need to nurture, um, I would actually argue that we have an evolved need to nurture more than we have an evolved need to parent, so to speak. Hmm. Um, we don't necessarily need to have our own children. We are we we are a species that does a lot of what's called alloparenting, which means we're caring we care for others. We care for our nieces and nephews. We care for our siblings. Um, we care for our parents as they get older. Uh, so for us to adopt a cat or a dog is not with, it's not really outside of the bounds of our capacities. Um, and so for some people that fills the need to have that kind of two-way relationship, the teaching, the caregiving, um, without necessarily having the expense and difficulties that having a child in today's society can cause. Um, so I mean there was a lot, there's a, there's just so much to unpack behind that statement. Um yes. and some of the the political as well as the individual personal needs for some people. And whatever the reason is, a lot of individuals when they when they choose not to have children, they're like, I just know that either A, I I don't really like kids. So how would I get to the point where they're old enough that I can have a conversation, right? Um, or they're in a, in a situation where um, they feel like it would be selfish to have a child because they know they may not be able to give it the best that they should. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of that. There are individuals who, um, you know, they they realize they're in their thirties and still haven't reached this magical state of having uh, owning their own home and these kinds of things. And they're like, how selfish would it be to have a child right now? Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess it's, you know i was thinking about my experience that
0: i was always i always knew i wanted well i thought children mm-hmm. and it was actually for me the birth process that was it was like four days <laughs> and oh it was goodness. i oh it was i did enough labor for four children but i just had the one <laughs> and and i never got to the point of thinking i'd like to go through that again actually <laughs> and that was what happened and i went no thanks um there's, I mean, that was, there's a long story there, which I'm not going to tell, but it's, it was it was four days and and it was um, horrendous. And then after that, I always made the joke and said, no, I'm sticking to cats and dogs now because I can say, yep, I'll pick the puppy up on Tuesday and the puppy's there on Tuesday or whenever, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't have to sort of say, yeah, I'll start out on the, <laughs> the Sunday or something and I'll have a horrible, horrible journey and finally get the puppy on the Tuesday. So that was what happened for me. But, you know, and I, I knew what I wanted. And as I say, that, that changed gradually. So I guess I have, to, you know, I I have done that myself. I've kind of gone. Well, I'm not going to have the four children that I thought, you know, you as a teenager and as a youngster you you plan. I'm not going to have the four children that I thought I would have had. So I guess we have done that, and it's um, you know, I think they've made my life richer for having them. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, the other part of that thing is because I I feel quite strongly about this. I used to. I know people either refer to them themselves as mum and dad, you know, with the with the dog the cat whatever or by their first name or or whatever term they want to use I always with with my Labrador I was Mm mummy and it was a mummy you know and it was we used to play we used to train and say find mummy we'd hide around the house or the garden find mummy find daddy find you know um find Jenny so I was mummy definitely but and this is where I think the thing for me is I definitely saw him as a kind of child not a replacement child Mm -hmm. but a kind of child in that in a very sensible way I think I was responsible as you said for his health teaching him entertaining him taking him to places you know chauffeuring him mm-hmm. so in, in in that way he was very much a child he wasn't a child in that I know some dogs need clothes but I never dressed him up I never sort of so to, you know I that's the question I, I want to say do you think our dogs well pets but our dogs specifically Benefit from this in general, do you think it's a good thing a force for good for our dogs that they there are these child replacements in some ways? do you think that's
2: good for them? Um, I think that it can be. I think that people can certainly take it too far. Um, I think that the same goes for parenting children right if you can there's there's ways to have nurturing and flexibility and care and still providing the autonomy to be the individual. Um, and so when it comes to looking at dogs, um, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. First of all, the the use of mom, dad, mama, mommy, <clears throat> those kinds of terms seems to be almost like a shorthand because we don't really have a word. Right. We yeah. don't have it, It's It's an easy way to convey the depth of the relationship that we feel we have, the bond that we have. Um, without having to get into some long, because we're not we're not just owners, right? And in some cases, we're not just guardians. Um, so there's there's definitely that part of it. As far as the the actual dogs and sometimes cats, um, your 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 gut that your gut instinct that it is mostly dogs isn't wrong. There does seem to be a leaning towards dogs. Particularly because they do seem to need a different level of investment of care compared yeah. to what we would expect with cats. Now more and more people are making the change where they are investing in their cat. They're buying strollers to take them on walks. They're leash and they're leash and harnessing, uh, harness training their cats. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of people in our building that actually take their cats on harness and leash down to the river. That's oh, well wow. back. We're, we're kind of like right off of a walking path um and so you will see cats you know doing cat stuff in the bushes and everything by the river like you see the dogs yeah um and part of that is just you know with dogs and cats with a dog you need to be able to be home to let them out periodically with a cat they use the litter box so you can interact with them but you can also you know leave them home for 10 hours and not necessarily feel um guilty that they're gonna float away um, (laughs) or make a mess in the house right so There are certainly some animals that, you know, sometimes I see some of the really short haired breeds. They probably do need a sweater. Uh, My mom had a Whippet and she actually, like you put her sweater out and her neck would go right in it. You you couldn't even get it open quick enough because (laughs) during the winter she'd get so cold. Um, But I think that there is an understanding for people who pet parents. I think that there is an understanding that um, I am applying all of the investment of direct care, like feeding and grooming and going to the vet. I'm applying all of the investment in indirect care, considering what they need when I do my budget for groceries, all these different things, right? Um, I do spend time teaching them, interacting with them. I do yeah. go for a walk and let them pick which direction to go once in a while. They can request play, right? There is that kind of two-way street, more of a negotiated relationship, um, but at the end of the day, there's also an understanding that I have a dog or a cat, not a child. Yes. And that comes with certain species-specific needs in order to give them the best life. And at the end of the day, that's what most parents want to do. I want to give my child with two or four feet the best life that I can. Yes. right? And so um, I think that people generally mean well, even when they're doing something really extreme, <laughs> like yes. Halloween costumes it's because they're doing what makes sense to them to incorporate their their pet into their life. Um, but there is definitely room. And I, I'm happy to see more and more um, organizations. Dogs Trust does a lot of this. Um, we've got a couple of organizations here in the States like Fear Free Pets and Zazie Todd's um, blog that really do try to say like, here are things we know about dogs and cats and what they like. Here are body language cues to look for what you what they do and don't like. And more and more people are starting to pay attention to that, um, because at the end of the day, they, they want their dog or cat to be comfortable, right? they are, they want their, their dog to, um, want to spend time with them, not be forced to spend time with them, these kinds of things. And so it really is, I mean, the deeper I look at it, the more I unpack it, every time I talk about it, I'm like, man, it really is parenting on that emotional, investing developing of an individual kind of a level
0: yeah yeah it's do do we see there's a couple of things i I want to come back to sort of training but one of the big downsides of dog ownership but certainly investing so much emotion into them is when you lose them my goodness it hits you like a ton of bricks like
2: Mm -hmm.
0: just i mean just even the thought of you know going through that process, it's just, it, it really gets me. And it's just, oh, I can, it doesn't take much to bring all flooding back. And that, I think, are we seeing that, that because we are investing in them so much and we are making them sort of a part of our family in that way, do we grieve for them more? Is there any research into that?
2: There's there's some, uh, and there have been essays on things written. I know I, I wrote one for Zazie's blog. There was an essay on theconversation.com that looked at it um and part of it is the degree of attachment that you have with an individual is going to have an impact on how much you miss them and how you grieve them when they leave yeah um so whether it's losing You know, it might be that you lose an extended family member and you don't feel like you might even feel guilty. Like I didn't grieve for this human the way that I'm grieving for my dog. But your dog was in your life day in, day out. Your dog was part of your routine. Your dog was there when you had a bad day and needed somebody's shoulder to cry on, right? There's a different relationship. And Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be anything to feel guilty about, even though our society hasn't quite, I would say that we haven't, re-caught up to that because there was definitely a time period in human history. um, We have all these burials from around the world where we have dogs, you know, buried with somebody in a very clearly attached way. Either the person was holding the dog or the dog was, you know, buried right by the person's head, these types of things. And so it's not like attachment to our animals is new. It's that we're rediscovering that it's okay because science is helping us understand that this isn't in our heads. Well, it is in our heads, but not, not in the metaphoric way. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, one of the things uh, Randolph Nessie has this great book, good reasons for bad feelings. And it's really looking at the evolutionary underpinnings of depression and anxiety and grief and eating disorders and all these different things that we think of as um, you know, disorders or uh, abnormal psychology. One of the things he says about grief that really makes a lot of sense is that one of the reasons we grieve the loss of any member of our close-knit group, which includes pets, um, is that they're suddenly ripped away and we're looking to get our group back together, which we're, we're looking to make it a whole again. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that coming, bringing home the ashes or having the funeral Um, getting the tattoo is something a lot of people do, right? Whatever it is you do to memorialize, there's that moment of kind of closure and acceptance. Okay. I'm done looking. I can now start to heal. Um, which is why I think for pet owners, those first few days while you're waiting for whatever you're going to get from the veterinarian is so hard, right? It's just, it's gut wrenching. Yeah. Um, and we I'm certainly to... not looking forward to going through I, it again, She's no. 14, right? oh, so, bless, um, yeah. but it's, it's definitely something that is, is a legitimate thing for us to feel. And I, I don't think it's selfish to grieve your companion animals very strongly. No, no. And, it's, and it's, I think we need to normalize that too. Absolutely. Right? So absolutely. That it's not, well, it's just a dog. Get over yeah. it. Yeah. Yes, followed by, oh,
0: why did you punch me? <laughs> I know, that's, that's I mean, <laughs> sorry for a condoning violence. No, but I, you know, it's, it is, we have so many rituals for coping with the grief for a person, which we have far fewer. You know, we don't, we don't all do the same thing. Or, I mean, and there's more variety now, obviously, but with human um, funerals and things, but with, with animals, it's, you're very much left, you fall back to your own devices and you don't know Mm-hmm. where what what should I do and and as you say you do encounter people that's oh the one of the worst things is are you going to replace him and you go right I couldn't you know I could not if I tried replace him. and and you never you wouldn't say that to anybody else any other family member you would never say are you going to replace them no.
2: yeah <laughs> I actually had a participant uh one of my one of my dissertation informants actually made the comment like you don't walk up to somebody who's grieving their child and say, so when are you having another one? Right. And Mm. that's what it's like, especially in those first few months when things are still really raw.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, I I do try to engage with people and sort of um, talk about those things. And, but a couple of people caught me on a raw moment and I just, they got, you know, both barrels and, and one person actually i i gave her both barrels in in a written in a message and then blocked her because she she, i mean i I don't know whether she had the best intention or not i guess she did but she said she kept getting in touch with me saying you know you're never going to heal until you have another animal until you have another dog and i was going no there is another dog in the house and she's wonderful but she's not the dog i lost and that's and um and she kept going from her experience and then she sent me a link to a rescue dog and said it's time (gasps) And I was just like, don't. And that really just, I was in floods of tears. I was in bits. And I just, as I say, I just responded and went, don't you dare tell me when I will, you know, I'm still grieving this wonderful dog. I can't at the moment, at that point, you know, I can't take another dog into my heart. And I couldn't. And it's personal. And, and I, I, you know, there are people, I know, I've known people who have a adored their dog and the one guy was um I, I worked with him he worked in a school with me he, he, he was the uh, site manager and he lost this wonderful German shepherd and yeah. he, he said oh, I can't I can't have another one I can't go through that again And I said no you know okay it's, uh, everybody's individual and then he came in within a week with a, a coat bulging and he just <laughs> took his coat his coat collar back and look, went look and it was a little German shepherd puppy and <laughs> you know you've got to do there's no right or wrong with grief you exactly. do exactly yeah you do what you need to do to get through but we do encounter people that that don't understand that that grief for for an animal and I it's right. really really sad but hopefully that will that will come so you you said sort of talked about um you know, the the love for the animal the value we put on the animal that affects how we mourn them is it affecting how we train them because even this week I'm, i've had conversations <laughs> with someone i'm not going to name any names because i don't want to get into that but there's a program on at the moment that in the uk that it, it's a man it's a male trainer who mm. solves these problems and. Because they're on television, it's giving them authority and right. and people who don't necessarily who can't see the problem with not using kind methods, can't see what's going on here, are going, well, you know, I had a conversation yesterday. Well, he he helps people, what's your problem? And okay, but he doesn't help them, he's shutting them down. And mm-hmm. It's such a difficult thing—the the the, the um, dominance myth and and the alpha myth—and ah oh, yeah, <laughs> Um, I am familiar. We had our run with that here in the states. Yes, yes, it's <laughs> well, we carried, still are yeah. It's but it's it, it's taken place. It's it's taken root in people's minds so much. Mm-hmm. So when we love our animals and we make them part of the the family, are people treating training kind of Is it making people? Is it motivating motivating people to go find the science of training?
2: To some extent, yes, Um, in a similar way that somebody who really wants to try to do the best and have the best outcomes for their child is going to seek parenting books. Right. Or talk to uh, educators or maybe even their doctor about, you know, how to handle certain situations. So it's it's definitely there. I think this is one of the places where being a distinction, being a, a different species might be harmful because it means that you're open to um an array of advice. And we do, you know, as as humans, we have a tendency to bias towards the first thing that we hear that makes sense. Yeah. And so dominance theory makes sense to a lot of people because we have equated dogs and wolves so wholeheartedly. Um, And it's really to the dog's detriment because there's a lot of things between dogs and wolves that have changed through domestication, that has changed through their developmental time with us, right? Um, can a dog not raised by humans be very wolf-like? There are certainly instances where that's true. Free-ranging dogs, um, they're their own thing, though. They, they don't pack up into family structures like wolves. They don't hunt the way wolves do. They tend to mostly scavenge. Sometimes they'll eat small animals, small rodents, but they mostly scavenge. Um, and so this idea of this, Well, even in wolves, this idea of the strict dominance hierarchy isn't really there. They've really functioned more like a human family. You've got the breeding pair and then you've got, you know, maybe you have siblings from previous years helping raise the year, current year's litter, that kind of stuff. And so um, there's a lot of inaccurate information, but when people really do love their dog, they may also be a little more sensitive to some of those cues that something isn't working. Or that they've tried something and it seems to have gotten worse, not better, which is a common fallout from a lot of the dominance and punishment based training methods. Mm. And so I think that we're starting to see that shift. We're starting to see more people looking for that. We're starting to see more pet minded organizations and communities coming together to learn these things and understand, you know, I have more conversations now with people about how learning theory works and about why e- aversive methods, um, can be problematic than I did when I was a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, granted that was 12 years ago now, 10 years ago. Um, but it's, it is interesting that people are becoming more aware of because the science is supporting it. You're not imagining it when your dog looks at you lovingly. You're not imagining it that your dog is enjoying playing, right? We've gotten past this idea that they're just reactive automatons and that they somehow don't have the ability to feel joy, love, fear. And through doing that now, we legitimize like, oh, that cowering looks like fear, right? And for some people, the reason they've chosen not to have children is because they don't want to repeat errors of their past, you know, things Mm -hmm. that their parents did, um, experiences they had with siblings, that kind of thing. And so they might be actually more attuned to some of those those mo- those markers that suggest this is an abusive strategy, mm. right? I don't want to necessarily go that far, but it certainly can be. Um, mm. And so I think that, that that is, you know, more and more people are paying attention. Are Is it going to be perfect? No, nothing's perfect. Um, and there are certainly parents who try to be the perfect parent based upon what culture tells them. Um, that may not realize they are causing some sort of harm to their child. And the same thing happens with dogs. Um, Because there is a lot of pressure, especially with dogs. There's a lot of pressure that if you want your dog to be able to go to the cafe with you, if you want your dog to be able to hang out on the patio at the pub, if you want your dog to be able to um, you know, be at the park, these kinds of things, they have to behave. It's not like with children where they have a temper tantrum and that's how kids are. If a dog snarls, barks, or bites, that's it right? People yeah. don't trust your dog anymore. So there is, there's pressure to have the perfectly well-behaved friendly animal. Um, but there's also an awareness that you can't have a quick fix for that.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think one of the other things I, I always, um, rail against sort of you leave the baby to cry. I never did that. And, uh, you know, but and I, I, you know, I, I kind of, I would love to look into my ancestry, actually, because there there is something very un-British in my ancestry where there's a very streak of kind of stuff you. I'll do my own thing. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for the advice. But no, thanks. Not not about I don't mean about experts who know their field. But, you know, if the latest science is looking at things and saying, well, actually, it's not helping, then I'll, I'll, you know, I will listen. So I'm not anti-expert at all, but I have a strong strain of if my baby is crying and I want to pick them up. I will do that. Thank you. And one thing I love is because to be honest, if our dogs have been particularly as I was gonna say, babies as puppies, you know, they've, they look as if they need some reassurance. Then we have, we have done that. We have gone, it's okay. Come here. And not in a, not in a, Oh my goodness. Oh, it's thundering. Oh, you put a, not in a sort of way to pass on fears. i not in a silly way like that. So we've been careful about that. Like with, with thunder and, and some people, some dogs are afraid of, Thunder, I know that and it's not something that's been given to them but so we've comforted in a way that hopefully we're not doing you know doing more bad than good right. but we have been a bit available to comfort them and if they've come to us and if they've been showing kind of I'm, I'm, I'm a bit uncertain here we've tried to comfort them the science now seems to be saying that you can you can comfort them because as I understand it you you tell me but we can reinforce a behavior but not an emotion is that right so we can't yes great really good so we can come for them can't we
2: we can come for them and yeah. it's it's almost silly not to i mean yes yeah. you don't want to do it in a way that's going to pass on your fear of them not feeling happy right yeah and so there there is something to how are we behaving ourselves next to them because they don't you know they can hear us saying it's okay baby it's okay that doesn't necessarily mean anything to them as much as are we tense while we're trying to kind of comfort them, or are we just relaxed and petting them? And now no one's going to see the fact that I'm actually petting a fake dog's back right now, but I can see um, it. It's very <laughs> fake, so I, can, I can see it. <laughs> so uh, you know we can't the the way that emotions and kind of the executive functioning of behavior they are in different different functions within the brain. The responsiveness to hormones is different. The neurotransmitter uh, signaling is different. And so this is one of the reasons when we do a lot of work with dogs who are reactive. And we say reactive because it could be that they're reactive due to fear. It could be reactive that they're reactive because of um they're in an environment with loose dogs and they've had a lot of dogs charge them in the past. And so the best defense is a good offense, right? They could be reactive because they're generally, they're genuinely angry and feeling aggression towards something. Um, So we just say reactive because before, rather than placing any sort of immediate quality on it, the goal is to change the behavior. But you have to have them what's, we we call it under threshold. So they can't be at that point where they're reacting because now you're emotional, right? And Mm -hmm. you can't reason, I mean, think about the last time that you got really upset. And I say this to all the listeners too. The last time that you got really upset, when somebody said, just calm down, how did that work? right oh, well to them <laughs> <laughs> so um it's the same thing right we have yeah. to get them we have to get them out of the space we have to get them soothed we have to get them whatever it is they need to come down from the emotional bur- burst in order to be thinking and working and that's why things like playing the thunder in the background really low volumes while they chew on a kong um. Although there are things about storms that they can feel that aren't just auditory. So mm. that's why sometimes CDs don't work for dogs. But, you know, being there for them and being their advocate in a space where they're uncomfortable, that builds trust. And it's yes. a trust that's necessary if you want that step where the dog is going to look to you instead of reacting for their own defense.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um. And so that's something that I think that we often overlook is the importance of you know building the trust in the relationship uh you can't you can't reinforce fear yeah fear is fear yeah you can reinforce making a choice not to engage with a fearful stimuli and so that's why we have to work in these increments when we do like leash reactivity and that kind of thing
0: yeah yeah and i mean you know when i was talking earlier about People not seeing things. I've been there. We had a, a border collie that was reactive, and yes, I was sort of, I was always tense, like oh my goodness, what's he going to do? What's he? and then that that wasn't good. But also, I completely misread the the situation. I was doing my best, but we. we I can vividly remember we met. Happened to be um, a great dane, but we met a great dane in, in a wood, and Rusty was standing absolutely still, and I was standing behind him, and all I could see was he's standing absolutely still. In my my little head, he's being a good boy, and then Mm. a trainer explained to me he's freezing because he's going. I can't stand this. I can't, you know, and and I'm gonna. I've done it myself. I do it with bees and wasps. I'm holding still because I know I'm gonna freak out, and it's just before the freak out, you know. And when I learned that, I was horrified. I'd misread it so so badly, and that's what motivates me to find out more and to get better at reading the dogs. And 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 that's why you know I don't I don't share from a when I say those things. It's not a you know a being horrible about people it's, it's hopefully I want to share with people you know what I'm learning and I know hey. nothing I only I pick people's brains clever people like you and pick your brains and share it with other people so that's you know but that's what I wanted, and that's where it, it comes from so I've been there I've made the mistakes and you know I want to share that information so um and I think it's really important so I you know I think this is um an important situation an important subject to talk about because I'd hate anybody to think I'm not, you know, it, it's it is selfish of me to have this dog and to love it so much. And I mean going back to the grief. I can remember I said to so many people, you've got the right to your grief, you know, it, it's it's you've loved this animal, what you know what you said about they've been part of your daily life, part of your family. Mm-hmm. You've got that then when we lost a cat and then we lost um Buddy. I then started feeling do I have the right to this grief? There was that little voice that I was so overwhelmed and it was that little. And I think when you're in that vulnerable position, that's when you do need other people to, you know, not validate, but to to reinforce and and back you up and just say, look, yes, you do. You you love that dog. He loved, he or she loved you. And it was beautiful. And and it's a huge loss. It's brutal. And, you know, we do need, so I I think it's important to talk about I'm aware I've got one eye on the clock. So <laughs> you because you are the author of um Voluntarily Child-Free, um, Identity and Kinship in the United States. I imagine it's too big a book to tell me very much about in sort of a couple of minutes, but <laughs> well, would you like to say something about that book? it sounds really interesting.
2: Um I can summarize. Okay. Yes. What the book came out of my dissertation work where I did hmm. interviews with child-free, voluntarily child-free individuals. Um, I had 30 different interview participants, plus I did participant observation on Facebook for two years. So I spent a lot of time in groups, um, Facebook groups that were, you know, related to the topic um, or even tangential to the topic, right? That's a fun dissertation. Including a a group called
0: Child-Free Pet Parents. (laughs) That's a fun dissertation. What are you doing? You're on Facebook. No,
2: I'm on my dissertation. (laughs) Pretty much. I actually left Facebook after I finished my dissertation. Oh wow. <laughs> I learned way too much about Facebook to have an interest in being there anymore. Oh, bless um, <laughs> but the, the book really kind of goes through the, the, the broader question is, how do you build meaning in a culture that tells you to be meaningful life? You have to have children. Yes. What, how yeah. do you build meaning in that environment? Um, and for a lot of the individuals, big shocker, 28 of the 30 people had pets. I mm-hmm. met so many dogs, cats, and bunnies via Skype and Zoom during my my dissertation time. It was amazing. It ended up being a whole separate paper that I published wow. in AnthroZoos. And so it, it really was overarching themes are things like um, I invest in others in a different way. I have my pets. Um, a lot of people are in caregiving careers. They're in medicine. They're in genetic research, trying to find you know solutions to cancer. One of them was looking at specifically mm-hmm. breast cancer. They're in some sort of environmental sustainability research. One individual was a a resident assistant for a university hall. They had an entire floor that was specifically for LGBTQ youth. Mm -hmm. And she was the RA. And she's like, I could not be this full-time RA and be here for the students who come through this floor every year and are my kids, quote, right, if I had to go home to children. One individual was a teacher who specialized in special education, actually did um, like ran theater club for the kids in special education. And she said, I'm so drained when I come home, I would make a horrible parent. But look at all these kids that I get to help through my career. So the the choices often are related to being able to help more people and still have the ability to kind of recoup the energy for the next day. I know that's certainly you know one of mine by the end of the day I'm just i I would be so cranky with a kid. <laughs> it's not even fair <laughs> um, so there's there's definitely you know there's there's definitely a lot of these different things. There was a lot you know we we asked the question um so how are you leaving a legacy because we equate a child who's going to pass on our ideologies and our uh you know family history and all these kinds of things. And for some of them, the answer was, why do I need to leave a legacy as long as I'm making a difference now? Yeah, yeah. Um, some of them, it was, I just want to leave the world in a little bit better place than when I started, yeah. right? Um, and for a lot of them, it was through their work. They're leaving a legacy. They're they're getting to have an impact, um, basically cultural parenting in some ways, right? They're getting to have an impact on others, um the way that they might view the world, similar to what they would do with a child, or they're getting to leave a book. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting to leave behind their research. They're getting to leave behind the nonprofit organizations. They're helping run all these different kinds of things. And so I think it's, it's really um overall, the book is, is really about how we how we redefine family and how we redefine ourselves when our family doesn't involve children. What are the things that we do to give life meaning um, as other ways out, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's something, you know, I'm doing a project right now. That's a cross-cultural survey, looking at the differences in attachment and caregiving behaviors between parents and non-parents in different cultures. Hmm. Um, We've already published the U.S. We've published the comparison between the U.S. and India. One of the things on my to-do list today is to finish the manuscripts for Finland and Japan. Um, We're collecting data in Hungary. We're collecting data in South America. Um, Getting started to collect data in Spain. I have an outlet to collect data in South Korea, although it's going slow. Um, And if we ever... If we ever have the interactions that allow travel again, I have somebody who's willing to collect data for me in China, too, which oh, would be really interesting. Wow. Um, but we're seeing this, you know, in environments where it's not just a weird Western thing that people are having pets instead of children or fewer children and the pets. Um, it is something that we're seeing in any environment where. There's a growing middle class. there's increases in education. The options for your future are broader than get married, buy a house, have kids get an r v and travel to the countryside right yeah. um, it's it's really It's really interesting to see how this is taking root as we urbanize and grow. Um, I definitely understand that economists and politicians and other organizations, you know. Religious leaders are concerned um, because it means that the demographics and expectations of countries are going to shift. Yeah. Working populations are going to decline. You know, the age group within a working pop um, within the working age group is going to decline. So it means we we almost, if we want to get through it, we almost need to be open to migration and immigration and these things. And honestly, climate change is going to push us in that direction eventually anyway. We're going to have to learn to have more permeable borders and share resources. Um, and everybody's going to benefit, I think, once we get there. Um, that's probably the hopeful anthropologist in me speaking. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, there there really is the potential for um, kind of the next Cultural growth of our species, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe if we learn to be more dog, we'll get nicer and right. we'll share that.
2: <laughs> That's my goal in life. I've actually told people, like, if anybody figures out how to give me a tail that actually functions, yeah. I'd be tall, tall, I'd be all about it. Just because <laughs> I love one of my favorite things about dogs, it's the nose, the ears, and the tails, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I think that if we could all learn to be a little bit more dog, a little bit more forgiving, I mean, if you think about how forgiving dogs can be when you do use those punitive methods, right? Um, How resilient they are in, in despite of their fears and despite of the things that we ask them to do that are not always in their best interest, like staying indoors, you know, 23 hours a day. Um, There's, there's definitely a lot we could learn. And from our cats, I don't want to leave the cat people out. Um, But there's a lot we could learn from, from dogs and the way that we engage. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, dogs are I I do like cats, but I can't read them very well, and so I mean dogs are my main love. But for Jenny, my daughter, it's she's she's very much sort of dogs and cats are uh, sort of um, on a level. So um, it, it's really strange. You know, she she gets you know because there's that thing of do cats love you or is it the resources you can give? But really, there as I would say they do because even if you you have nothing to give them, it's not feeding time. There's food there available, and they just still want a love and a you know. So it's I think it's there. But um.
2: fifteen years ago, we were asking the same question about dogs, and now it's a it's a given. Yeah, um, and there is research there. So there's this thing called the strain Situation Test hmm. that looks at attachment style, and dogs do it. We we've got enough data. We've had enough different studies that have replicated. Um, it's kind of if you go to the if you go to the, the play yard, right, and you see that kid who's looking around for mom and or dad, and as long as they can see their caregiver, they're happy. But as soon as they can't, they panic. Yes, dogs display that, no question. Well, a couple of years ago, um, Monique Dell and Kristen Vitali Shreve at Oregon State did that with cats, and sure enough, they demonstrate this the wow. strange situation. They they demonstrated that. Um, attachment secure attachment secure base yeah. um and it was distinct to an owner it wasn't just any person in the room so give us another give us a few more years and people will accept the fact that your cat can love you for more than a tuna yeah. man, so. <laughs> definitely definitely
0: <laughs> thank you so much shelly it's been really really fascinating i always feel rude, rude calling a doctor by their first name but thank you shelly <laughs> oh i <laughs>
2: Only my undergrads need to call me doctor and that's (laughs) only in class, so. (laughs) Thank you ever so
0: much. Where can people find out more about you online?
2: Uh, They can find out more about me online by going to boisestate.edu and searching for my name there. Um, When you find my faculty page, it'll actually take you to my laboratory page as well. Um, I'd also be happy to give you the link to my lab if you want to post that when you post Great. the audio so that people can find echoes directly. So my lab is the evolutionary connections of humans and other species. So we call it echoes for short. Smashing. Great. And, uh, and and I met you through Twitter. So <laughs> you can <laughs> definitely know. find me on Twitter at Shelly V, dot, uh, Shelly v PhD, which I really wish I could change my handle because it's such a grad school. Like I did it right after I got graduated. So yeah, but whatever. <laughs> so Shelley V PhD um, on Twitter is definitely easy place to find me.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And um, it's been really interesting and I hope that's reassured a few people and you're not selfish just for having your, you're loving your cats no. and dogs.
2: <laughs> no, not at all. Thanks for having me.
0: The way we define family is changing, and I guess that is, in some ways, for many people, scary. But life is pretty scary right now, and I think our pets help us cope with that, and if anything, help us keep our humanity. A huge thank you to Shelley for that interview, which I found fascinating. You can find all the links she mentioned on dogcastradio.com. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. I love making dogs happy, and you know me. I love a bit of science, so this next interview was an absolute delight. I'm talking today to Zazie Todd. Hi, Zazie. Hello. How are you? I- I'm good, thanks. And you're a, a social psychologist and a dog trainer. You write a column for Psychology Today. You've had a uh, Captain Haggerty Award for best training article, and we're going to talk today about your book, Wag: The Science of Making Your Dog Happy, which I love anything that's about making our dogs happy, because surely that's what we all want when we get a dog. We want to make the dog happy as well as ourselves. But sometimes that can be such a hard task and so confusing, can't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think so many people, they get a dog because they want a nice companion and they want to keep their friend very happy. Um, And when you know what a dog needs, it's much easier to be able to do that. So WAG is about understanding what your dog needs all the way through from getting a puppy or adopting an adult rescue, right through to having dogs and children, taking your dog for a walk, training them, taking them to the vet and how to help them as seniors and make those difficult decisions at the end of life. Uh, And it's full of practical tips. So it is a science book. It explains the science behind it. So you understand why I'm saying these are good things to do. And then right at the very end, there's actually a checklist for a happy dog that people can look at and everyone will already be doing some of those things. So that's great. And you can give yourself a big pat on the back for that, (laughs) but there will also be things that you're not doing because not everyone is doing everything obviously yeah, yeah. and you can use that list to pick things out that you think might make a difference to your dog and might help to make your dog happier and give them a try if you feel like it and see how it does and then if it works well then you can try a different one
0: oh that's brilliant that's so practical as well isn't it that's because sometimes you read the uh, book and you think well this is great but how do I apply it to my dog to my situation so that's I, I really love that and You've, we've mentioned about the, the science and the science is in the title, the science of making your dog happy. One thing for me that the, the pandemic has highlighted is that certainly here in the UK, uh, science education is sadly lacking, I think. So let's start with why is the science so important? You know, wh- and when you say sort of evidence-based science, why is that so important? It makes a huge difference
1: because we have so many ideas about dogs that we think are common sense, but actually aren't necessarily. And we, many people have grown up with dogs, and so they still have this knowledge of what they thought about dogs when they were kids. Uh, and so much has changed in terms of what we know about ha- animals and how to care for them and give them good welfare and how intelligent they are and how emotional they are it can be as well. Um, and so it's really important actually to have a good understanding of that, because when you understand these things, then you, you know what your dog needs. And so many things that people do, there are lots of outdated ideas, which unfortunately is still there today. Um. I can give you some examples. These are things that are completely wrong now. And we know they're incorrect, but for a long time, they did inform what people did about dogs. And one example is people used to say erroneously that you shouldn't comfort your dog if they're scared because you might reinforce the fear. And that's not true at all. It won't reinforce the fear. Actually, we know from some of the research on dogs' attachment to their humans that really, we can think of it as our job to help to comfort them if that's what they want, because we are what's known as a secure base for the dog to go out and explore from. We help to provide comfort and security to our dog. So that's just one example. And another example would be the ways in which we train dogs. And we have an increasing body of research that tells us that unfortunately, when people use aversive methods, which includes things like shock collars or leash jerks or prong collars or hitting the dog or yelling at the dog, those things unfortunately can damage your relationship Mm -hmm. with the dog and they can cause the dog to have fear, anxiety, stress, aggression, and so on. And it's much, much better to use positive reinforcement. And I think it takes time for the science to kind of filter through. But uh, in writing WAG, I've kind of hoped to give it a bit of a push along because I think knowing these things about your dog can really help improve your relationship with them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I got Buddy 20 years ago, well, it's 20 years ago next year, you know, and I was thinking about this. I was i was told all that stuff that made me think I'm bringing a dangerous wild animal into the house that wants to usurp me and take over, you know, because I was told all the stuff about you've got to go through the door first and you've got to eat first before him. And we actually did. This was before I was doing Darkcast, but we actually did the, you know, getting his bowl and pretending to eat a biscuit, you know, first and then letting him have his afterwards and all that kind of thing. And it took me a few months of living with Buddy to realize, you know, he's, he's not actually here to usurp me. He just wants to love and play and, 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 you know, be happy and be nice and be part of the family, just be included and be loved and, and then, then you feel really strange because you say, well, all these experts at that point were, were telling me this, that I'm finding to be wrong from my experience. And it's so, that was so confusing. And then I actually went, to, went and found out better experts, if you like, than, I mean, I can remember the, the trainer we went to, um, actually said, if your dog wants to come out, you know, starts to come out of the crate and you, you don't want him to, Shut the crate door on his face. And I'm thinking, do you know what? You are the wrong trainer for my little Labrador, you know? And, and so we went somewhere else. But it was, it was difficult. And it's horrible when, when people you think, you know, your trainer, you, you think of as an expe- an expert is telling you this stuff. And you think, Oh my goodness, this monster's in the house. And I better do it because I don't want him to eat me and the children in, in our sleep. It's, it's a horrible thing, isn't it? It
1: really is. But, and I think a lot of people end up feeling uncomfortable with it and they're kind of relieved to learn that they can go to a trainer (laughs) who actually is going to say, use treats to train your dog. Yes. Uh, Or, you know, it's okay for your dog to cuddle with you on the sofa because, you know, sometimes people say to me uh, that, and they're worried because their dog has some kind of behavior issue and they'll say, oh, but is it because I let them on the sofa? I know I shouldn't have, but I like it. And when you can say, no, it's perfectly fine for that to happen. Your dog is not trying to dominate you they just want to you know be somewhere comfortable and 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 be close to you and struggle with you um people feel so much happier and it's it's a much better version of the dog human relationship i think and the, the other thing is that somehow when people talk about you having to be the leader or they're erroneously throwing around this word dominance, mm-hmm. um, somehow it brings out the worst in people. Mm-hmm. It's like it turns them into some caricature, 80s movie army trainer who's yes. going to be very punishing all the time. And so somehow it brings out that side in people. Whereas when we talk about having uh, a Family kind of relationship with dogs. People are much softer, and they understand. And and people understand that you shouldn't use these kinds of methods with children. And so yes. now they're also understanding that it's really important to be much kinder to dogs as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, I don't understand why the dominance thing is is still persisting with people. But there are people that see a little bit of you know a certain person on television, a certain trainer on television, and. And, and pick that up so strongly and then stick with that, even though the message is beginning to get through more and more and more, you know, with books like yours and, and other television programs, that that's not the way to go. But yet that dominance, I don't understand why it gets them and they can't let it go. Is it just because it's easier to do? I, d- I don't understand.
1: I think it is easy mm. in some ways it doesn't require you to actually learn very much about dogs because True. you hear that idea and you think you know it yes <laughs> basically yeah. whereas actually learning about dogs there's there's a huge amount to learn i'm still learning scientists are still learning you know there is a huge amount there that we can learn and that has changed and is always changing so it's probably harder to keep up to date with it but also i feel like It's to do with the metaphor. It's metaphor actually is what I did my PhD on, and it's kind of quite a powerful way of thinking about things. We think of it as just language, but actually it shapes our thoughts. So I think if people are in that kind of mindset, they seem to find it quite hard to get out of that and into more of a mindset of thinking of their dog as a family member and someone who they have caregiving responsibilities for, rather than telling off responsibilities for. And I think the other thing is just that people have heard these ideas for a long time and you know, people who do these things, they've been told them by people who they thought were experts and maybe did count as experts at the time, yeah. you know, a long time ago. And it just takes time for ideas to filter through. And the good news is that they really have filtered through. And I think there is a big change in how people think about their dog, which yeah. is a good thing. Oh, yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, saying that, I think maybe one of the things is that positive training and reward-based training is sometimes seen as, you know, it's a bit wishy-washy. It's not really effective. It doesn't actually work when you, when you've seen it work and it does work. And it really does, doesn't it? I mean, I, I've said before we've we've always been positive with our, with our dogs, but with mischief, we've been extra positive because you, as you said, you learn more as you go along. One of the things we were told was, you know, have 10 treats in your pocket or a number of treats, 20 treats, whatever in your pocket at the start of the day. And every time you see the dog doing something you want, something you like, just, drop a treat and you don't have to say anything just i like that behavior there's a treat you know and she is so willing and with any of the four of us in the house if you say mischief come and do such and such then she's like yeah yeah okay great with any of the four of us she's she's the most willing we've had and i've seen the power of that positive method how it's worked magic with her and it really does you you get a happy dog and you get a very willing dog don't you
1: You do. It really does work. And I think once people realize that it works, they see it working, it makes a big difference, you know, and people get on board very, very easily when they see that happen. it Also, it's a nice change in your mindset because you're thinking about what you want the dog to do and those behaviors that you like from the dog instead of just thinking what you want the dog not to do and how yes. can you stop them from doing that. So it's it's a much nicer way of thinking about your life with your dog and what you would like them to do. You know, do you want them to sit to greet? You, for example, do you want them to sit and wait at the door, or or how do you want them to be when you put their harness on for a walk and things like that? I think, you know, it really makes a big difference. And I'm one of those people who always has dog treats in my pocket. Yes, you know. And in the days when it wasn't pandemic and I used to go out and about, sometimes it would be a bit embarrassing because I'd go to get a coffee <laughs> and I'd reach into my pocket and I'd have all these dog treats. <laughs> but you know, it it really helps to be yeah. aware and paying attention to your dog and just rewarding them for doing the things that you like and. It makes such a big difference. Yeah,
0: absolutely. absolutely. Because when you think about it, they are learning all the time. We only train them or we only think we're trained them when we're doing training at a training class or, you know, we're doing training in the garden and we have decided we are training at that point. They're learning all the time, aren't they? So that time when, and they may have been good for quite some time. And then you just happen to notice that they've stolen your slipper or they've found a sweet paper on the floor or whatever. And so they've done something that you don't like, and they suddenly get that attention. And that's, it's, you get in a, a, a loop then that's very negative. Whereas if you can notice, okay, they're lying still, they're, they're all look or they're, they've settled, they've, they've sat down, they haven't bothered me, whatever it is, and just give them a treat. It just sets you up, as, as you say, in a very positive loop, both of you, doesn't it?
1: It does. It really does. And there's a lot of science behind it now. So different kinds of studies that show what a difference it makes to the dog. And even that using aversive methods can make the dog more pessimistic and using the kinds of methods that we're talking about now, positive reinforcement, those dogs are more optimistic, um, which is shows that it's much better for their welfare yes. too. Yeah. And I think another big change has also been in terms of thinking about enrichment and of course, training itself with positive reinforcement is enrichment in and of itself but other types of enrichment as well as things that we should do for our dog or with our dog and again I think that helps dogs to be certainly less bored and to have a more fun and interesting life and again I think that's good for us too and good for building the bond with our dog.
0: Yeah yeah and I love that actually because I, I the, the first trainer I went to I can remember him saying dogs don't get bored they don't get bored what are you talking about I mean <laughs> I think they do but anyway he, he knew better than me apparently but but they do, don't they? And that, the, the, the word enrichment, you, you hear about it with the sort of zoo animals, but to use that with our, with our pets and with our dogs, it's so, so good for them. I mean, you know, we sit and do a crossword or a Sudoku or we read or whatever, and our dogs need that mental outlet as well, don't they? They do. Absolutely. They
1: do. And it can be really easy to provide because it can just be as simple as giving your dog opportunities to use their nose more. So when you take them on a walk and this would apply more here, perhaps than in the UK, because most walks here have to be on leash. There are very few areas where we can let dogs off leash, mm-hmm. but giving the dog that chance to sniff, um, to sniff things that they want to sniff instead of hurrying them along on the walk. Um, it gives them more freedom, and also it lets them use their nose, and it's really good for them. Or it could be just scattering bits of food in in the piece of uh, grass where you know it's safe to scatter it and letting them find it with their nose. Um, Of course, right through to all kinds of things like nose work or agility or whatever, depending on the dog that you've got and the kinds of things that they like to do or that you like to do with them. Um, So there are so many different things you can do. And I think that's another really positive thing. And it makes a difference and it keeps them happy and engaged throughout their lives. And also because maybe not so much now, but certainly in normal times when we're out of work a lot for the day, you know, they spend a lot of time on their own as well. You know, it's good for them to have lots of things to do,
0: keep them occupied, get them a little
1: bit tired, keep their brain stimulated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know scent work is sort of taking off and becoming more and more popular. And it's a really it's a force for good. It's very good for dogs. But if maybe if you can't manage that, as you say, letting them have a good sniff on the walk, letting them have time. It's so good for them. And you know, you know that dogs smell better, <laughs> smell better than we do. You know what I mean. They have a stronger sense <laughs> <Yes>. of smell <laughs> than we do. <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
1: Whether well, they smell better depends what they've just been rolling <laughs> well, in.
0: <laughs> this is true, this is true. Um, but when you start and, uh, finding out what's going on in a dog's brain when they are sniffing, it's amazing, isn't it, That the way they process scent and what happens in their brain. It's just amazing, isn't it?
1: It really is, and to think they have their nose, and they have their vomeronasal organ, or VNO, which is detecting other kinds of chemical signals, pheromones type things, Um, and they they can detect so many different scents and are so good at doing this, um, much much better than us. And yeah, so I think it's really good. And there's a general kind of rule of providing enrichment that it's a good idea to provide enrichment that engages the most important sense so for us that would be our eyes looking at films or artwork or nature or whatever but for dogs that will be something that uses their nose whatever it is and there are lots of different ways that we can do that with dogs so it's really good yeah and I personally don't do nose work I have been to a beginner nose work class in the past and I thought it was really a huge amount of fun and the nice thing is that it's so accessible to dogs even reactive dogs can go and do nose work because they don't have to get near any other dogs so that's a, a really nice thing
0: yeah yeah and I guess older dogs because it's not um, necessarily it's not very athletic is it so you can sort of tailor it to your dog's ability so an older dog can still be involved
1: yes they can I think it works well for all kinds of dogs which is really nice and just thinking of older dogs when I had my dog ghost who was my Siberian Husky Alaskan Malamute cross he unfortunately became quite ill and was ill for a a long time We'd, we'd don't know exactly how old he was but when he was older um he couldn't walk very fast um but he would sniff like every single piece of grass on the walk (laughs) and so we wouldn't get very far but the walks would take a really long time and he would have a fantastic time just smelling everything you know And so just giving him that opportunity was was really a good thing to do and it was nice for me too because it was just being outside um It's quite rural where we are, so it's just being outside in nature and watching him having fun. It was just lovely.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes we see the the walk from a human perspective of, I've done two miles or I've done five miles or I've done, you know, 45 minutes or whatever it is. But if you turn that around and and think about it from the dog's point of view, what makes it a good walk from the dog's point of view? You know, he's going to say, oh, I sniffed, you know, 30 different scents or whatever it is. It's different, isn't it?
1: it is quite different and the other thing that we might do is think well we want to get it over and done with because we want to you know go on and do something else afterwards but from the dog's point of view it's to be in the moment and enjoy that walk and have a nice time and also have a nice time with us being there as well so yeah and and there is some research that from the University of Liverpool that found that people want their dog more when they know it's going to be making their dog happy so I think people do care quite a lot about their dog's happiness which is lovely and it's nice that we can talk about dogs happiness um compared to like in the past when people used to think that animals didn't necessarily experience emotions even Mm. um you know there's been such a big change in in understanding there so it's really nice that we can think about happiness for our pet dogs because like we said at the beginning that's that's why we get them
0: yeah absolutely absolutely you you mentioned your dogs in the book don't you you've got anecdotes about them
1: I do so I don't have either dog anymore sadly both of them have passed so this ghost was my Siberian Husky Alaska Malamute Cross Mm. and he Both of these dogs were were kind of rescue dogs. So he was absolutely huge. He was enormous (laughs) from the tip of his nose to the tip of his tail. He was longer than I am tall. Like he was (laughs) big, but he was also very skinny and he was, he was lovely. And so he was the kind of big dog. People would look at him and sometimes people would even actually ask me if he was a wolf because of his size and his coloring, but he was a really, really lovely dog. He was very, very special. And within... I mean we 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 got him and then as I I tell the story in the book within six weeks of getting him we were like he needs a dog friend because he was so friendly with other dogs and he was so happy to see other dogs on walks so we kept looking online and we saw there was an Australian shepherd at our local shelter and we went to meet him and we said you know the only thing that matters is if ghost likes him or not (laughs) you know (laughs) because he's gonna be a friend for ghost (laughs) and ghost did like him um I think Ghost actually probably would have liked any dog, but anyhow. So, so we brought him home, and he was an Australian Shepherd, uh, about two and a half when we adopted him, and we called him Bodger, and he he was he was uh, quite difficult in the beginning mm. in that no one had taught him anything he was very reactive on leash he didn't seem to know how to walk on leash uh he didn't know anything he knew sit but he didn't know anything else and he would spin in circles he would put his tail in his mouth and he would just spin and spin oh, and spin yes. yeah. so he had he had been surrendered um because of he hadn't had a good life in his previous mm. home and they they told us a bit about his previous home. So um, it took him a while to settle in, but, you know, he became the best dog. He really was very special, very loving, very, very loyal. And sadly, he passed away just before WAG was published. He had hemangiosarcoma, mm.
3: um,
1: which I don't know if you know, but that's a cancer that often isn't discovered until... The dog oh. basically is at death's door. Yeah. Oh, so in our case, we were incredibly lucky because we took him to the vet and we noticed he was off and we took him to the vet and we came away with antibiotics and things just didn't seem right. So we went back to the vet the next day and they sent us straight to the emergency vet and they had to do surgery right away to, to remove his spleen. And they said that if they hadn't done it right away, you know he would have just passed away there um and right. it's a cancer that dogs tend not to live very long after mm. but we got four and a half months, and they were a very happy four and a half months and in that time, he didn't seem ill until it got to, you know, right at the end. Yeah, so yeah. that was a very special time to actually have that time. And we didn't know when we made the decision about surgery, they said there was like a one in three chance that it would be this cancer. And sadly, it was. Oh. So that was heartbreaking. But yes. he was a very, very special dog. And um, yeah, I miss him a lot. And now I have another dog. Hmm. Uh, We adopted a senior shih tzu called Pepper um, almost a year ago. And he's 11 now. And he's Hmm. very, very sweet. And he Uh gets on well with our cats too, which is good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. they all have their own little personalities and likes and dislikes and preferences. And I'm getting to know them is fascinating, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah, it's really nice to learn how each dog is different and their own personality, and they're very special in their own kind of way. Pepper is not very cuddly, particularly, mm. but he does like a few cuddles, but they have to be short, and then he's had enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> but he. He likes to be near us so he likes to cuddle up next to us on the settee and then when he's had enough he'll go to the other end of the settee but he, <laughs> he likes to be near us anyway so it's yeah. just it, it has to be on his own terms which is yeah. completely okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I you know I can hardly see a dog on the street without going over and saying can I meet the dog? Can I say hello? I mean pre-covid. Um mm. and but then sometimes the dog Clearly says, I don't want to meet you, actually. And that's fine. And I I always say, you know, the only can get very embarrassed and come here, come here. They will say hello. And I always say, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. For whatever reason, they don't want to say hello to me. And that's, that's fine. And we do need to respect that. I I mean, um, the first time somebody said to me that the dog getting up on the sofa next to you isn't necessarily an invitation to fuss them. And you think, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Because I mean, buddy with buddy, (laughs) it was, you know, and he just wanted to be fussed and with you. But, when now i look at mischief she'll get up right by me and sometimes she'll want to fuss but other times she's like no i just want to lie near you thanks and that's again that you know they do have their own preferences isn't it but understanding what they're saying to you is this is the trick isn't it
1: Yes, that's right, and and being able to read their body language and recognise when they are a bit stressed. Um, although that kind of becomes a curse because you can never unsee it, and there are so many online videos and so on that you're looking <laughs> oh, at, thinking, "Oh yeah. no, that poor dog." Yes. But anyway, don't do that it, to it, them. <laughs> yes, yes, um, it it really helps to be able to recognise those signs, which can be as simple as just looking the other way or licking the lips or something, mm. or just a very slight move away so it's it's a good idea to recognize those signs and I think especially for the kind of dog guardian who knows when their dog doesn't want to meet a stranger and is willing to say no actually you know they don't want to meet you that's absolutely the kind of guardian that that sort of dog would like because that's protecting them and and looking after them and the last thing you want is someone coming and forcing themselves on your dog when your dog doesn't want Mm. to say hi they shouldn't have to put up with that but so many dogs are friendly and it's lovely when when you oh, can yes. just go up and meet a dog. And you can tell when you're looking at them, like this yes. dog wants to meet me. Oh good. <laughs> I want to go and meet them
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is lovely. It is lovely. Um, and thinking back to Buddy, so many people walked away from, from us going, that dog really liked me. And, and he did. That was that was the kind of his magic that he did. But he liked everybody. So mm. you know, he did really like them. But he liked everybody, and that's lovely. When I meet dogs now, that you, but I, I come away from thinking oh, that dog really liked me. It is. It's a kind of magic, isn't it?
1: It it really is. Ghost was funny because he wasn't terribly bothered about meeting people. He would let them pet him, but unless he actually knew them well, he wasn't really bothered, but he yes. really wanted to meet their dog if they had another dog. <laughs> <laughs> so he was much more interested in the dog than oh, the person.
0: Yeah. See, Buddy yeah. would pay the tax of meeting the dog, but then he just wanted fuss from the people. It's, mm. it's funny. They're all different. Um, so in apparently uh, noiseless electronics in the house when we say about you know recognizing stress for our dogs but noiseless electronics in the house may may stress our dogs well
1: Dogs have a different hearing range than us. So it's possible that they can detect things that we don't. And especially if we're getting a bit older and losing some of our hearing range, then I think particularly they might be detecting some things that we don't. But even just regular household noises, um, if if your dog isn't used to it, then it it can stress them out. And mm-hmm. in many cases, of course, the dog will get used to it. But sometimes in other cases, they will unfortunately sensitize to it, and which means that they're going to get worse and worse every time they hear it and it's really important with puppies especially to make sure that they during their sensitive period for socialization from three until about 20 12 to t- to 14 weeks sorry um, that we expose them in a nice way to lots of different things including all those different household noises that they might come across so that they're not going to be afraid of the odd noises that the fridge makes or yes. the dishwasher or whatever that we get completely used to and tune out but our dog might be paying attention to and listening to and, and some dogs can become quite fearful of those noises
0: yeah Oh, and that's horrible because, as you say, they're so obvious to us. They're, well, not obvious; they sort of blend into the background, and you wouldn't even notice them. And and the dogs it could be driving them mad, couldn't it?
1: Yeah, but of course, the more obvious thing is is something like fireworks mm. and around Halloween and Bonfire Night, all the fireworks that people set off, and many many dogs are afraid of fireworks. And even then, even though people know that this is something many dogs are afraid of, some people don't actually realise. Um, unless they start thinking about specific kinds of signs like trembling and shaking or whatever so they they maybe don't realize to get help for their dog and then another thing that i i think we've only learned quite recently from work from the university of lincoln is that when a dog becomes afraid of those noises later in life it's actually important to take them to the vet to check hmm. because sometimes there can be pain associated with that and I, I hasten to add i'm not a vet so this is just something i've i've read about and and so, you know, if your dog is afraid of fireworks from early on, that's that's probably just that they didn't get experience of those noises during their sensitive period for socialisation. But if it's something that suddenly develops, the theory is that it could be that hearing the noise makes a startle response and that causes pain. So it could be a sign of pain and it means that you need to go and check with your vet, which mm-hmm. I think is a really helpful thing for people to know.
0: Yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, they do – I think – they do change so much during the course of their lifetime and as you say your your book goes from sort of the the, the beginning to the the end but they do their needs change so much and it's it's a horrible wake up call when you you realize that they are slowing down or or becoming their needs are changing particularly towards the end that but we do need to address that don't we to keep them happy we do whether that means I mean, one of the things I I learned, which I I wish I'd known before, Buddy, was, for example, I wish I'd taught him to be happy walking up a ramp because Mm. I couldn't put him in the back of the car and he wasn't quite as comfortable in the the footwell and I I didn't like him to travel in the footwell. But I wish that I'd thought, right, I'm going to get you used to walking up a ramp and then when you you get a touch of arthritis or whatever it is, you can still travel happily and safely in the car. It's little adjustments like that that we can think about, isn't it?
1: Yeah, little things like that. So for Ghost, we actually had a box that he could use that he could stand on to get into the car. It kind Hmm. of made a nice step for him to make it easier. Um, But yeah, with a big dog, you can't lift them. So it, it helps to, if you can spot those signs and talk to your vet about any arthritis or whatever they might be having. And then... A um, ramps to get into the car or sometimes a, a harness where you can help to hold up the rear end of the dog can help them to enjoy walks for longer as well yeah. and the other thing I think with a senior dog is because they're not able to do so much sometimes people start leaving the dog behind when they go out and do things that they used to do with the dog Mm. and that means the dog no longer has you know interesting walks in their life for example and you still need to keep doing things they still need things from you and they still need to spend time with you even though they're older and not doing so well and then especially like maybe they'll find some floors a bit slippery to walk on and you might need to put mats down to help them get into the kitchen for example if it's got a slippery floor
0: yeah
1: um like ghost used to find um uh, the vet our vet actually had a very slippery floor oh. and and ghosts used to find that quite hard to walk on um and there are lots of little things that you can do, but I think the main thing is to still keep your dog involved in your life because they still love you and care about you and want yes. to be with you, and just because they're finding things a bit more hard it it doesn't mean that you should go out and get a puppy oh, no, <laughs> or that, that you know or that you should just leave them home and not do as much with them they still want things you just
0: have to adapt them to try and make sure that they can still take part yeah definitely so i always i found as as buddy got older it just became more and more precious as you realize that the days are becoming numbered well they've always been numbered but you become aware that the number is yes. decreasing you know um uh, and it's, it just became more and more precious. And I made the most that I could of that time with him. And we, I did say, so I, we did have another dog in the house and that was my daughter's dog. And when I, when she lost her dog, when she lost, um, star, buddy was in the house to keep her sane, if you like, and help her through it. And then when I lost buddy, her mischief was in the house to keep me sane and get me through it. And I think that that was a big help. We both found that a big, big help to have that, um, And I think that's a, you know, it's again, losing your dog and grieving for them and honoring them is such a personal thing. And whether you're a person who thinks, no, I need to have a few months or whether you're a person that thinks I need to have another dog in the house already, or I need to go and get another dog, you know, within the week, it's all, it's all okay. Isn't it? That's it's just your coping Mm. mechanism.
1: It is. I think it's very individual how people feel after it because We needed time before we got another dog. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, because there was a pandemic on when we decided, oh. okay, we're ready. It was quite hard to find another yes. dog, <laughs> you know, that was good with cats as well. Oh. Um, but yeah, and some people do feel a need to go out and get another dog right away. Or they think, well, we've got a good home for a dog. Uh, you know, we might as well get a dog. And I think whichever way you want to do it, you should just do what feels right for yes. you. And there's no way is wrong. And grieving yeah. is... A very personal thing but I think it helps nowadays that more and more people realize that it is a big loss mm-hmm. to lose a pet mm-hmm. because they are part of your family whereas in the past and people still sometimes say things like oh it was just a dog oh, and yes. you yeah. know and it's mm. they're such a big part of your life it yeah. is a big big loss um
3: mm. it's we brutal. were
1: kind of it is brutal. And also, even before you lose the pet, you get this thing called anticipatory grief yeah. where you know that it's coming and that can color how you spend your your last days or weeks with yeah. them. So it yeah. can be just really hard. And then the things that we do to help us remember our pets and help to keep that memory alive, I think can help us to cope with the grieving sometimes. So having friends that you can still talk to about your yeah. dog that you lost is really helpful or having those photos pop up on social media in your memories for example it may make you cry but at the same time it's good to have other people commenting and it it just helps you to feel more supported in your in your grief to know that your friends recognize it and your family recognize it's what a big loss it is
0: yeah yeah it becomes very bittersweet doesn't it when those those memories pop up and as you say some some days I can smile and say oh wasn't that lovely and then other days for some time for some reason it hits me somewhere different. I'm just like in bits going, Oh my goodness. But you know, it's, it's all part of the cycle and loving them. And it's, it's the price we pay for that, um, for loving them. I, I do think that one of the things that has sustained me sort of through that grief is knowing that in general, you know, we, we seized every day as much as we could. And I tried my best to make him happy. And saying that, I mean, what do you think is the, is is the best thing we can do to make our dogs happy? What's, because you've looked into all kinds of aspects of it. So what's the one thing we can do? Or it could be, you know, two or three things, but what can we actually do to make them happy? What's the best thing?
1: Yeah. And I, I, well, the one thing I tell a lot of people is to use food to train your dog, because if people are using aversive methods, they need to stop and they need to switch to using positive reinforcement. It makes a big difference. And also in itself, it's a happy fun thing to do with your dog. And I think enrichment and giving opportunities, especially to use the nose, but any kind of enrichment is good too. And then apart from that, just spending time with your dog, doing things that both of you enjoy, whether that's going for walks or hanging out on the sofa or taking part in, agility or classes or, or whatever. There's such a wide variety of things that you can do just doing those things with your dog, being there with them um, yeah. because they love us. They want to be with us. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things you can do for them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Let's turn that round now. What do you think need, what do we need to eliminate most or, or what's the habit that we shouldn't have fallen into or, you know, what's the, what's the thing, the best thing to stop if you like to, to, to preserve that happiness?
1: So I, I would say it is to stop using aversive methods. If you're using yeah. shock collars, prong collars, yelling at your dog, anything like that, leash corrections, stop doing those things because there's a lot of science now that shows that that can cause, it has risks for your dog's welfare basically. Mm. And if, if you've got a behavior problem that you're dealing with, find someone to help because, um, the longer you leave it with a behavior issue, unfortunately they don't tend to resolve on their own. They do tend to get worse over time, especially if fear or anxiety is involved, that's going to keep on getting worse unless you do something about it most Mm -hmm. likely. So in those cases, get help. And that might be help from your veterinarian, or it might be help from a dog trainer or a behavior animal behaviorist. Um, but, Get someone to help you because these days there are lots of people who know and understand canine science and what to do, and it can make a big, big difference. And even if it's something and you think, well, it sounds relatively easy, just having someone to help can help you stick to the plan and help you problem solve if things go yeah. wrong with it. So, for example, if your dog is reactive, it's a good idea to try and do something about it, and you can do something about it. And I think sometimes people feel that this is just how their dog is and there's nothing they can do, but there is a lot. That you can do and yeah. just seek help if you need it
0: yeah definitely definitely and I mean somebody for example um, separation anxiety is quite common isn't it and somebody was likening that to a panic attack now a panic attack is so horrible and intense and just you know debilitating instantly um, and I'd hate to think my dog was going through that again and again and again and as you say Getting that help, and it doesn't need to cost a fortune, does it? A lot of people will sort of have a donation to the, depending on the situation, will have a donation to a charity or things like that. You can get that help, can't you?
1: You can get that help, and it can make a big, big, big
0: difference. Yes, yeah.
1: And, I, you know, often, especially with something like separation anxiety, it might also involve having your vet involved in case they want to prescribe medication, mm. and it involves a plan. So with separation anxiety, actually graduated Absences where you you don't leave the dog alone for any longer than they can cope with. It. Over time, you can gradually increase that period of time, and it makes a big, big, big difference. It yeah. just takes time to get there, um, but it's so worth it because your dog can't help it, and they're not doing it to spite yes. you or because they hate yeah. you or anything like that. <laughs> they really are, you know, distressed.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: and I don't think anyone wants a distressed dog. So, no. No. you know, but it, it can feel overwhelming. But as you say, that also. It doesn't have to be expensive and a lot. some people also will give you a plan and if you can't afford follow-up, they you can just go th- work through that on your own as well. Um, but obviously, if you can afford someone to help you all the way through, then it makes a, a difference. It does help to have someone on your side and to know that they are, you know, they understand the situation and they're not judging you. They're just there to help. It makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you look at your own situation and you can't see – you know, what do I need to do to get out of this situation? How can I change this? How can I stop this? And then somebody else will look at it and make a suggestion that seems so simple. And you go, right. Yeah. hadn't thought of that. You know, and and an expert, particularly a behaviorist will look and understand exactly what the dog, what their behavior is indicating that they're thinking and feeling and can really cut to the chase for you and, and get that solution. Can't they?
1: Yes, that's right, because they have so much expertise and experience with other similar kinds of cases. But I think it's worse when it's our own dog or any kind yes. of problem that's our own problem. is yes. harder to see for yourself, <laughs> whereas if it was a friend's dog, you'd probably have good ideas mm-hmm. already or you'd know who yeah. they should go to for help. <laughs> but
0: when it's your own, it's much more difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yes, it's easy to go, well, why don't you such and such, and you don't think of you suddenly. oh, yeah, okay, I'll try that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it sounds really, really interesting. Book, and as I say, I love anything that's about making our dogs happy. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say about making our dogs happy or the book? Or
1: well, actually, um, I have another book coming out soon, hmm. which is about cats. Hmm. So it's for the people with cats, and it's called <laughs> "Purr: the science of making your cat happy. So there is a sister book that's coming yeah. out I- in May. It will be published on May 19th in the UK. Um, and it takes a similar format so if you're a dog and a cat person then you might be interested in that as well yeah
0: excellent well we have cats as well and i, I do love our cats but um i'm a, a dog person at heart but i know jenny sort of puts them on a on a level um so she'll be fascinated with that because she's very into as you should be with all your animals you know very into making them all all happy so um yeah that's excellent excellent and where can people find out more about you online
1: So I have a blog called Companion Animal Psychology. So you can Google it or you can go to companionanimalpsychology.com. And um, I have a newsletter you can sign up. You can find out about me. And every week I have a new story about dogs and cats or some kind of canine or feline science and tips to help people with their pets.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And presumably on social media as well.
1: Uh, Yes, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook as well. So you can find me there too. And WAG is available
0: in all good bookstores, as the saying goes. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much. And um, I hope you carry on making dogs happy for as long as possible. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's easy to think we're living in a world where everyone has heard this kind of science and is putting it into practice and is consulting genuine, qualified, informed, up-to-date experts. But a quick delve into any social media disproves this, so I'm very happy to help spread Zaz's message. And can I ask a favour? If you've enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends, please. Let's help dogs, cats and all pets live as happy lives as possible. We have all the links, as he mentioned, on dogcastradio.com, along with all our 250 podcasts and more, which brings me on to the fact that this is our 250th podcast and we've been making Dogcast Radio for 17 years. Well, almost 17 years. Jenny joins me now. Jenny, you were just a little child (laughs) when we started Dogcast Radio, so what do you remember fondly about it? I I did not realize it was seventeen years. That I really
3: shocked when was... <laughs> you just said that. I was like, yeah, it's about seven, and then you went seventeen, and I was like, yeah. No, sorry, what?
0: It's quite um, shocking. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun and talking about dogs. <laughs>
3: um, I I don't remember much of the start because I was like quite young, mm. but I remember the very first uh show that we went to for DogCast which was a Labrador show yeah. and I just I loved it so much because you were just surrounded by these big friendly happy dogs and they just it was just like a big mess of where everyone's <laughs> dogs together and having yeah. like getting hit by like 10 wagging tails at once <laughs> yeah. and they had that thing where you had to grab a lab and run to the front. <laughs> and there's not many dogs no. that you could just have. That many dogs that I would just grab a
0: dog and, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember they played football. Well, we played football. You know, they just, we, there was a lots of people, lots of Labradors... And a football. And, like, it just worked. And I remember yeah. thinking, th- there's not many breeds. Perhaps, perhaps you disagree if you're listening to this and you think, no, actually, my breed could do that, so let us know. But there's not many breeds I remember thinking that you could just have this this relaxed level of fun yeah. and a football flying around and just get away with it, you know? Oh, dear.
3: I loved that one. I loved the Great Dane one. And yes. there's a picture where this guy has got his Great Dane, um, like the Great Dane's front legs is on his shoulders, and can, I'm just in the background, but you can see my face. I'm just, like, so happy. I'm yes. like, look at the giant doggies jumping up. And I'm just so happy. Yeah. And I
0: remember that one as well. Because the Great Dane people were, they were just wonderful. And yeah. I guess I have a dog that's so different. And big. You, and, and, yeah. Yeah. You need to be a different, that was Mischief. who's a little, <laughs> little, tiny doggy. Yes. And um, you've got to be. Come here then, Chicken. Do you want me to pick picked up? Come here then, <laughs> Where are you going? You've got to be um, a little bit different as well. You've got to have a different take mm. on life. And they were just so fun. Yeah, that was a great show, that one.
3: I remember, them. I think you said something about, do you need a big sofa or a big car? And they're like, no,
0: they're just the car. They're yes. very small. You're <laughs> all right. <laughs> I remember walking to that one as well. And a great day coming towards me and, and sort of tensing, thinking, oh, I'm going to get labradored by something this, this big. And oh, my goodness. And it just walked up to me. And sniff me and then, like, walked away. Or, or when <laughs> you can fuss me now and I just, just think, wow, that... they're amazing dogs. They're just... But again, isn't that the wonder of dogs that they're all so different? There's, there's a dog out there to be your um, soulmate. Yes. I've been having to think about some of the things we've done. Um, going behind the scenes at the Highland Wildlife Park to talk to... <laughs> That was so good to talk about the wolves. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that I was,
3: I sat in the room when you were interviewing the guy and he had like, he had missing fingers or like missing like to the first knuckle of fingers, yeah. um, because wolves had like bitten his fingers and I was like less than 10, maybe nine. And I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing ever. and thinking, if I am an adult that doesn't have fingers missing because they've been bitten off by wolves, I'll have failed. I'll <laughs> have failed at being a, an adult a person. Now, I'm like, I'll keep my fingers, thank you. My I'll meet the wolves, but I don't want to have my fingers. You know, I'll keep my fingers, thank you. But I remember at the time just going, wow, he's had his fingers <laughs> bitten off by wolves. See, I
0: think if you do lose fingers, it'll be to cats. <laughs> <laughs> you are a cat wrangler and you are very, very good, but cats are a different... <laughs> to species they're they're just different different rules (laughs) but i remember as well there was a kickboxing russian terrier who was like a security dog and and actually that that sounds um frivolous he'd actually taught the russian terrier to kick kick people he did do kickboxing but to kick rather than bite um Mm. because he he said he's a he's a lovely dog yeah and i don't want him to get in trouble for yeah, for yeah. biting. So that was actually really sensible. Then we had a sneezing Bichon frieze. If you can hear mischief, she is so, in the room, and we, why not? Because she's part of Dogcast. Um, yeah, but there was a there was a sneezing Bichon Fries, and I remember loving the fact. I <laughs> love I remember loving the fact that somebody wrote in and said, you know, I've taught my Bichon Fries to sneeze on command. I was going, yes, these are my people. These are my people. Um, We've been to Crufts quite a lot. We've been to fun dog shows all around the country. You judged a um, fun Labradoroodle, yes. Class. <laughs> and actually, that was, that was something I, you know, kind of aspired to, but it was so much pressure, and I just I wanted to to give them all something <laughs> I didn't want to sort of choose because I've I've been in the ring like that, and to walk away going that judge didn't like my dog, you know. I just I I think actually. It was too much pressure and I didn't, you know... <laughs> I love choosing the winners, but basically you're saying to the other people, I'm not choosing you. I didn't, I didn't like that, but there you go. Another highlight for me was I'd read Mars Door by Ted <laughs> Carasotti and loved it, absolutely loved it. And I remember I was listening to it as an audiobook and I was decorating, I was painting the house, and Mr. Dogcast walked in and I got tears running down my face. And he was going, what's the matter, what's the matter? Have you gone off the colour? I was like, no, I'm listening to Mars Door and it's really sad. I, I love that he
3: thought you might be crying while painting <laughs> yes. because he didn't like the colour anymore. That says so much about you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're not grown-ups, really. But then Ted Carasotti came to the UK to do some research for his book and he stayed at our house. He stayed at our house. I was so excited. So that was that, that was great. But I've just... It's been such fun. And doing the year of Croft or Bust was good fun of, of taking Buddy and qualifying him to go to Crufts in, in some way. And, and hopefully I've, I've, I did write a book about it, um, which has never seen the light of day, but I'm going to podcast it or record audiobook or whatever. I'm going to bring that out, so that will be coming out soon. But we've just, we've had a flipping ball, haven't we, haven't, we, haven't it? <laughs> yeah. Doing the I remember
3: when Buddy first, like Buddy's first Crufts, <laughs> you can hear Missy panting. <laughs> um, uh, Buddy's first crufts. I was so excited because I always went to Daisy's Dog Deli and places like that and bought, um, the bake bakewell tarts for dogs and things like that and I, I loved getting them things like that and then Buddy was there and they did ice cream. So <laughs> I bought an ice cream and, um, the person at the store went, Where- where's your dog? And I went, Oh, sorry. He's he's just with my mum in the press room. There, she called her friend. Everyone, this ice cream's going to a dog in the press room. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I remember he loved that. He he really loved that, and he loved because he was on the Blue Cross stand. Oh, he's
0: on the Blue Cross. Yes, where he kind
3: of met people and brought them in, and and talked about Blue Cross. And, like, so his job was just to meet people and you took him in the press room for a break and you took the Blue Cross <laughs> little coat off him and he just started working
0: in yes. the press room. <laughs> Come on, that, that was his forte, wasn't yeah. it? That was his forte. He wanted to meet people. Mm. He never got fed up of meeting people. Yeah. You never had to say, he's had enough now. I mean, we did give him breaks, obviously. But then he would get up and choose to go yeah. and meet people you want. <laughs> If you that's know, what you want to do. You can't enforce a break and say, no, you must not do this thing you like doing. But that, being on the green carpet at the NEC at Crufts, <laughs> in the main arena with Buddy as part of the Safe and Sound team, that was an experience. And we were privileged enough to go, I think, three or four years. And that was amazing. Mm. To Because I know Crufts isn't perfect, but I do think it has a, a, at its heart a celebration mm. of that dog-human bond, which hopefully is at the heart of Dogcast yeah. Radio as well. Um And to be part... At the heart of yeah. that was and
3: about something that is children and dogs yes. and how to safely interact and something that encourages that, yeah, it was such a nice yeah, and you were, that class I thought... you
0: were on that kind one of the children
3: in the display <laughs> I thought that was I, I the first rehearsal we had for that, I like the the scene was that um, the kids were playing and the dog yeah. was lying with the parents. So the first rehearsal, I was, like, pretending to play and Buddy was like, all right, it's playtime then. And, and he was like, what What do you mean I can't play? <laughs> yes. that's, that's my kid. Why? Well, that's what we do. What yeah. do you mean I'm going to lie here? And that was a bit of an adjustment of him yeah. to be like, oh, I'm going to be a well behaved dog now. And he did it, but yeah. he was like... Oh. Uh, but then he, <laughs> when he did the... There was a bit where all the dogs had to cross over in the middle of the, the ring, yeah. and he loved that because he could run, and and he could play with the kids in bits of it, and he just, he was so uh, good at it, you know, that he was, he was such a good dog for a, a kid to have, you know, yeah, the, to be around, yeah, and yeah. to kids, and I remember at the rehearsals, <laughs> I'd be buddy, and like ten kids yeah. around him and he'd be on his back and he'd be like, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and even, you know, I always watched him and I always made sure that everybody yes. was nice to him. Yes. And they, obviously they were. But you never had to say he's had enough now no. leave him alone because that was his, his joy was <laughs> just meeting particularly children but mm. just meeting, you know. And he, he got
3: to do that through Dogcast so much yeah. like he got to Yeah just have fun i think he yeah. had we had fun and he had and star you know they oh, yeah. they yeah. they just had so much
0: fun yeah. and and they were both amazing and they both rose to the occasion i guess all dogs are amazing all dogs are brilliant at fitting in with you you yes. know and fitting in with your life um but they did they just mm. They were amazing and I look back at things we did and and you know and, and mischief's amazing as well. And she's having her, she sat right with us, she sat right on my lap, very relaxed. <laughs> she sits but, like a but I,
3: I don't like taking pictures of her like this because she sits like a person. So she'll sit like on her you know, normally dogs sit with all four the, paws on the yeah, floor. Yeah. And they kind of sit on their haunches but they their front feet. She sits on her bum with her all four legs in the air. Like yeah. sitting like a person. And, like, she'll kind of cuddle into your arm. But it looks like you've put her yeah. in that position, so yeah. I don't like taking pictures of her like that. But she just sits on it. That's how she's yeah. got herself. And it just makes me laugh so much. And she's sitting <laughs> on Mum's lap like a person, just going, what are we doing now?
0: Yeah. We recall- okay. okay. I'm okay. joining in. I'm joining she But I guess that's, you know, it was the joy of our dogs. I'm going to yes. get emotional here, but it was the joy of our dogs. I'm not going to cut this out because, yeah, I am emotional, but it was the joy of our dogs. I hope you can understand this. I'll translate after. <laughs> okay, Subtitles. Can. But it was the joy of our dogs that led us to do Dogcast, sorry, in the first place. And I, oh gosh, sorry. And I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And just sharing generally the joy of dogs and, and helping people and dogs be happy together. Because we've been happy with our dogs has been amazing. And um, sorry, I couldn't keep it together, but it's to 250 more. Mm. So, uh, until, until next time, do you want to do this one? Okay. I'm, I'm going to take over this bit because
3: uh, mum's currently crying because uh, that's how much dog cuss means to us. Um, but until next time, this is for, oh, I'm nervous now, this is the first time I've done this bit. First one in 250 episodes. Okay, okay, I'm going to do it. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs.
0: Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121 from the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44 922 You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogCastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny.
3: Mum, what what did the Labrador say when his experiment went wrong?
0: Um, He, I don't know, he swore in dog.
3: Chock it all up to experience. Like a chocolate Chocolate Labrador. Labrador. Look, okay, it's very difficult to come up with 250 different family-friendly dog jokes. Yeah. Like, I was thinking lab, like, experiment in a lab, but a Labrador, and then, like, chocolate is, like, the yeah. colour of the lab, but... Uh, ugh.
0: Um, no. We have had two brilliant scientists on today, so I think we'll okay. get away with it. Do you know what? We, we get the final say, so there you go. If you don't, you know, if you don't like
3: <laughs> get it... the final say, it's funny. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's not no, funny. It goes, it goes in the podcast. <laughs> but if, you, if you've got a better joke, send it in. If you're still listening, thank you so much. I love you. But if you've got a better joke, send it in. We'll credit you, we'll mention your website, whatever, but send us the joke.
3: If if you've listened this far but you don't like the joke, I don't love you. If if you've got this far and you liked my effort, then I love you. It's conditional.
0: Oh, dear. (laughs)